This is Vixen John, creator of Minute Made New York, and you're listening to Minutes Heard. On today's episode of Minutes Heard, I sit down and have a conversation with a good friend of mine, Janice Gasson, who's currently a professor teaching diversity and inclusion at her university. We catch up on old times, as well as talk about her current work consulting with different companies, talking about different ways to manage diversity in different work environments. So sit down and take a listen to this great conversation. Man, it's been a long time. I know. I don't even know the last time I saw you. The last time you saw me we, was it that was in... one YouTube. And I have the video yeah. on my YouTube. You do? That, oh, yeah. It was the me, one... you, and some more. Some more, yeah. Yes. You know, <laughs> it's so funny. I saw some more. I was in uh, Washington Heights mm-hmm. like two or three weeks ago, and I saw some more <laughs> driving. Really? And I was like, I wrote underneath her picture. I was like... I think I saw you, because that was, I don't remember if me and her met up again afterwards, mm. but I was like, mm, I think I saw you. Were you driving on Fifth Avenue in Washington Heights? And she mm. was like, yes, <laughs> that was me. So that's funny that you brought that up, and I didn't even remember that that was, so that was like, what, five years ago? That was that was a Six while ago. Six years ago. Right. We were trying to, the whole, like, yeah, we meet were, up type So deal. it was like, how did we even... How did that meet up like So remember okay, so when we were doing the YouTube stuff, yeah. we were under um full screen. Yeah. Remember? Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I mean I don't know. Full screen had full a, screen. Yeah. Had <laughs> but a um, they had a New York well full screen had the website so yeah. you could like check the different users. Yeah. And at that point we were trying to connect like I don't know if it was through Facebook at the yeah. time, but we were trying to at least like we were trying to like a New York full screen meetup. Yeah. And then it we were the only three of us. Yeah. <laughs> that ended up showing I don't know if we were trying to do like a diverse meetup or just No, full just a general period. like, hey, if you're from New York City yeah. and you're part of full screen, like come through like, because come, yeah. Because I know at that point I was new to the network. Yeah. You know, because I got into another YouTuber and yeah. I was like, oh I'm part of it. And yeah. then I started what, was it a guy? David Spades. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's so funny. I'm still on full screen but it's like I don't because my because of the <clears throat> content on my YouTube videos is mm. like controversial, uh, gotcha. I don't make any money from. I was like, really? you know, there was a point where I would get like maybe a two or three hundred dollar check every month mm-hmm. from full screen, but now it's like nothing. Right. You know, unless I make a video that's not controversial. Right. Real which is, basic general. Yeah. yeah. For like, me, I didn't have enough subscribers. Well, to, for them to like, <laughs> and no. I hit up David, and I was like, uh-huh. probably a year or two ago, and I was like, hey. How do I get out of this Thing. partnership? He was like, "Oh, I've been out." Of it. He's like, "I don't even know. I can't even like I've been out of it." So I was like, right. "Oh, that's funny." So I didn't even know the logistics of. So I was just like, "Whatever." I'm, yeah, you know, they kind they they let you out before yeah. you even. Think yeah, about so it. I so just was like, "I'm fine. still." If I happen to get a video that went viral, and they would still cut me some sort of check, but it's just I don't know. I love YouTube for the ability to just speak freely but now they're kind of censoring people yes. so youtube like, is going through a lot yeah it is it is do you think very it's messy <laughs> has longevity and i don't even want to say unfortunately it it's going to have a longevity because it's a part of the google umbrella yeah, yeah. so youtube's not going anywhere yeah. i think the the authenticity of youtube is definitely much more rockier than it used to be yeah 
right? And you know, you even have like the generations of YouTubers that are like, oh, it's not the same, and oh, yeah. blah blah blah, and that's all well and good. Like that's yeah. you're constantly gonna have that with a platform. Yeah. And, and that's social media in general, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously, the Facebook of yours, not the Facebook mm -hmm. now. You know, yeah. like Twitter then, Twitter now, completely yeah. different platforms. So even though the audience of these certain platforms evolve, mm -hmm. the platform's gonna still remain the same. People are still mm -hmm. gonna YouTube things. People are still yeah. gonna go there as a source. You know what I'm saying? At the end of the day. Yeah. So. Um, as I said, the authenticity of the platform as it relates to the creators, like me and you back then, yeah. like creating content and being free about it, yeah. having that sense of community, you know what I'm saying? I don't know how it is now, because I'm, I mean, yeah. I'm, I've recently started making YouTube videos again, but just ah. for like my own personal yeah. thing, Yeah. but I'm not investing in YouTube like I used to yeah. back then, where it's like, all right, gotta get the video up, yeah. da, da, da. I enjoy, I, I dabble in it a little bit more now because I mm -hmm. know some creatives that do make YouTube videos. Mm -hmm. I do get to do watch them Do you ever do videos, like record people's? Because now it's like a thing where people will travel and have a videographer going with them. Mm. Have you ever thought of doing that? Depends on the person, I guess. No one has ever asked me to like say, hey, I need you to record my YouTube vids. Yeah. Let's do this. Yeah, no one has ever approached me for that. I've yeah. just created content for people in different scenarios. Yeah. But never like a, hey, I need a video guy for YouTube. Yeah. Follow me. and um, My friend is probably going to hit you up, too, because she was looking for a photographer. Yes, you did mention that. Vid video. Well, no, photographer, because she wants professional. And I was like, you know, I got to support my black people. Of course, so I was of course. Like, <laughs> I appreciate um, that. I told her, and you're actually the only, I don't know anyone in Connecticut. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I don't know. So I, I told her I would give her your uh, contact info. Um, and it's good to know, like, you're now that you know because she's closer to Bridgeport, mm -hmm. so it's good that like you'll at least know you you'll have gone yeah, yeah, there, yeah. so you guys can maybe work something out. Okay. But yeah, no, I used to work with somebody that was living in Connecticut. It was a music artist at the mm -hmm. time, a couple years ago. So there do you was remember what part of Connecticut? Uh, Sanford? New Haven? New Haven. Okay, Ish? that's like yeah. further. Yeah, a little further. Yeah, New yeah. Haven, from what I remember. Yeah. Or was it yeah, New Haven. Yeah, New Haven um, yeah. seems to stick yeah, out. Yeah, that's yeah. like sticking out. At the out. time, we like she would drive up here, so we would drive up here oh, okay. ever so often, not yeah. all the time, because she yeah. was like bouncing between Connecticut and New York. Yeah. So yeah. when I was making content for her and stuff yeah. like that, there would be times where like we went by her house oh, up there okay. and shot yeah. some things, and most times we would, like she'd meet yeah. me in the city, we'd shoot some things. Yeah. But that was a long time ago and stuff yeah. like that. So. Yeah, that would be good. That's what I would if I had like the ability. Because I think it would be, but it's like you said, it goes back to things aren't really organic anymore. Mm -hmm. It's not like, oh, I'm grabbing my camera and shooting myself. It's like, um, for example, I went to one of my friends, it was his 30th birthday, and we went to Greece. It was like a couple of us, and I didn't go to Mykonos, but they went to like the island of Mykonos, and then there's um, Santorini, and then Athens. So they went to Mykonos and they were telling me when they went to go sightseeing, there were all of these vloggers there and they had their videographers and their camera people and they were kind of trying to push people away and say like, oh, I'm trying to get the shot, can you move? <laughs> um, no, we're all here, <laughs> right, right. like I'm not moving. So that was frustrating to them where it was just like, oh, you know, I recognized, one of my friends was like, I recognize this person and she like really didn't want people in her shot. Right. And it's like, I don't know, I feel like now people, it's like we've lost that authenticity. Right, even the fact like, of vlogging, which was supposed to be something very natural. Yeah, it's right? like you're now, now like, hiring professionals exactly. to follow you. It's polished, yeah. it's, it's very you know, pristine, it's yeah. not like 
and even if you aren't holding the camera it's not yeah. organic to where it's like all right i'm just sitting here with my thoughts it's yeah. like hey guys i just happen to be on this exotic yeah. island exactly let's do and this like, don't even get me started just another on. casual vlog exactly <laughs> just a casual vlog on this island you know these are designer drone blah, shots blah, blah, blah. 360s yeah. like come on um don't even get me started on like just social media and people and their emotions and like um just I, I'm not I don't even want to get into it. so how what how have you been how's your life I'm, I'm, like, I'm fine I'm doing great um, everything is is awesome as far as career and trajectory mm -hmm. and all that stuff that's well how good. about you this is about you we are catching up yeah, of course but yeah. yes no but you yeah. so after after that meetup Obviously, mm -hmm. a lot has happened in yeah, life between yeah, both exactly. of us. Yeah, because that was like over. It was five literally years the one. It was the yeah, one time. The one time, that time we, yeah. <laughs> we made up, ironically. Yeah. Um, but, but I feel like social media. I feel like I know your life. Right, and of, and that's the good part about social media. Yeah. The good part is that we are generally able to keep up with people, and yeah. even if we don't talk all the time. Yeah. We can see like, people's hey. accomplishments and achievements yeah. and chapters and all these things, and I think yeah. that's good at least for that type of connection when yeah. it comes to social media and just keeping in touch with people. Yeah, you know, so even sure. if it's like, all right, like, we don't, obviously we don't talk every day or whatever yeah. it could be, but like, you know, yeah. I saw you going off to like create content and become yeah. a professor and then you yeah. got married and yeah. all that stuff. Like, so let's just talk, like, recap me through all those yeah, times. Like that, yeah, <laughs> since the last, I feel like, do you remember what year that meetup was? I, I want to say 2013, like, 14? It was it was probably like tw like 11 12 like early yeah. 2000 probably t 2012 cuz I moved to New York in 2012 right so i think it was like and that, i got started i got started on youtube like 2010 ish mm -hmm. so like 11 12 sounds about right mm -hmm. right yeah. yeah yeah 12 sounds right cuz i moved here august 2012 mm -hmm. so i don't uh, 7 eight, 7 years a lot has changed, changed. yes well, how did you get into, um, well, I don't know what came first, teaching. Yeah. So, uh, I guess I... And how? And what was the transition between the YouTube... So, I love, you know, on, on my YouTube, all I ever wanted to talk about was race. Jay Nice on the mic. Jay Nice I, on the I mic, remember. you know. Come on. So, I just love talking about, and that started because my brother was like, I used to write articles, um, and I used to write for this uh, publication called... The Examiner, I had to think. It was like, when I lived in Louisiana, I was in Louisiana for like two years, um, and I was writing these publications, and I was writing about like relationships and all of this stuff, and my brother was like, people don't read. So, like you're posting this on your Facebook, people aren't gonna read. You should like do a video or something. And I was like, a video? Hmm. So then I started doing like, I was like, okay. So then I would start doing videos on like the, in 2011, I think I started my YouTube channel and I started doing videos on the topic. So it was like more relationship. Mm -hmm. And then somehow I moved into talking about like interracial relationships because my brother at that time um, had his own thoughts about interracial. So he was like, you should talk about this. So then it moved into like race, mostly like black centric things and issues. And I just love talking about that. And then I would notice that the more controversial stuff like interracial dating got a lot of um 
like people would watch and have lots of opinions on it that. It was very buzzy back then. It was then. yeah. Very so it was like back then it was just like I love talking about and I'm still the same way I guess like probably turned up a notch, but I just love talking about race related things. Mm -hmm. So I've always I guess been really interested in that. And then when I was in school, um, I started tutoring because I was like a broke PhD student. I needed to make money, so I was like. Maybe I should do like tutoring. A opportunity opened up at my school, so I started tutoring. And um, my dad was a professor, so I saw like the flexibility he had. And I'm not a morning person. I, I'm not up. Like if I'm being perfectly honest, usually every today is an exception, but like normally I'm not up before 11, 10 or 11 a.m. I'm like I like to sleep in, and I go to sleep. I'm a night owl. So I was just like, I'm not a like nine to five person. Waking up, going, I just, I didn't feel like that was for me. So I felt like I needed flexibility. And when, when I did tutoring, I was like, oh my God, I would love to do teaching and to be a professor. So um, I was like looking for opportunity after opportunity. Um, and one of my professors, she was like, hey, do you still wanna teach? Cause she couldn't teach a course. And so she actually gave me my first opportunity to teach. And then the university allowed me to keep teaching more courses. One time I had an opportunity to teach an African-American psychology class. And wow. that was like was that? The, the bomb. Like I, I don't teach, unfortunately, I don't. I teach diversity and inclusion, which is like I'm able to talk about that stuff. But it was amazing. I loved teaching that course. But um, so that's kind of how I started getting to teaching. And then um, I feel like my interest in diversity and inclusion has always been there because I always love talking about things that make people uncomfortable. Like a lot of people don't like talking about race. They don't like talking about like diversity. Um, so I think that that makes me happy to talk about things <laughs> that make people uncomfortable um, and just being, I guess, I don't know, yeah, being bold enough to talk about those things. Because I know a lot of people at work don't like to rock the boat understandably so you want to do you don't want to do anything that might jeopardize your job which makes sense but like even doing something like I was nervous to wear I got I had faux locks mm -hmm. and I was nervous to get them because I'm like oh I'm in a professional setting right. um, here like I'm the only black female faculty member in my department so right. I felt a little bit like I, you know, is this hairstyle professional? Because right, all eyes are on you in a sense. Yeah, and it's like you know most I mean? of my, I, I don't have a lot of students that look like me. So it's like there's a homogenous group of faculty and a homogenous group of students. And I see that as like an exciting way to like share a part of my culture with them. Like they don't probably know what hairstyle right. this right. is or what this, so I'm like, hey, this is an opportunity. And people ask me, they're like, so what is this hairstyle? And I was like, oh, it's called faux locks. So it's kind of like fake locks right. where it's like, I, I could, tried to explain what crochet was to them, but I was like, they put, braid my hair in cornrows. I know you're a professor, cook, yeah. but this is a whole curriculum. Exactly. I was just like, it's trying, exactly. Yeah. There could be a whole curriculum on just Pretty much. The, the politics of black hair. Being black 101. Right. <laughs> right. Students, welcome to right. the see, so this is So I see that as like an opportunity, and I love being in settings where I'm the only person because I see that as a, a chance to teach people about what it is to be a black person and things that they don't understand some people don't like that and don't want to have to answer questions all the time right. i don't mind it it's it's a catch-22 i think only because 
There's such a, okay, so for example, just in a sense of race, it's so funny. Not funny, but it, so at my company, I'm the only black male at the whole, the whole company. Mm-hmm. There's probably like over, there's like, let's say 100 people. Mm-hmm. There's probably more, but 100 people, and it's a mixture of people being in the actual office and people being remote, but mm-hmm. throughout the whole company, mm-hmm. the face of it, I'm the only like African American male. There are black women there, right? There are three of them. Wow. We just got the third one just a couple of like, over a hundred people. Uh, over a hundred people inside the office and outside in the sense of remote. Mm-hmm. In the sense of people of color, mm-hmm. there's a little bit more. Mm-hmm. There's some Indian people and yeah, all that stuff. Asians. But and, in the yeah. sense of like African Americans, yeah. for the most part, there's only the four of us. Wow. Do you ever feel like you're the token or do you ever feel token token yes but no Mm -hmm. i think i think these days um i don't always like using the word woke Mm -hmm. but i think in in the sense of just like race relations i think people are more aware Mm -hmm. of the environment Mm -hmm. and they and they do their best to kind of navigate it in a professional sense Mm -hmm. to where it doesn't seem like oh well for example i'm the only black guy let's Mm -hmm. Let's come to him with all the inquiries, mm-hmm. and you know, uh, I I think. Have you ever gotten any weird questions at work, like about just people trying to learn more about black culture? Or? Not 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 directly. Like, hey, I have a black question for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, hey, you're think, black, <laughs> right? You you'll get it. <laughs> yeah. It's never been that. And for me, I think I've always been kind of. I don't want to say. Assimilate, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm pretty yeah, good. I'm pretty good at like, navigate. Yeah, what is that? Some called? people say code switch. Um, yeah, it's. I think the like psychology term is you're good at self-regulating. Self-regulating. And those people are um, more successful. They say at work if you're able to like be a chameleon mm-hmm. in your environment, you're able to adapt. But um, the thing is, for me, like I feel like I, I mean that's just my personality. Mm-hmm. It's not even a matter of like, all right, well today I gotta put on the mask. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm yeah. saying? It's for me, I could gel with different types of people and i think you know i'm really thankful that college kind of gave me that culture shock Mm -hmm. because you know growing up in the city Mm -hmm. you know you're predominantly i predominantly grew up with a lot of like black people around me Mm -hmm. right so um that was most of my like educated life Mm -hmm. right so when i went to new pulse it's so funny you don't have a strong brooklyn accent no which is interesting no i mean it's because I've been exposed to a lot of things, like, even when I was younger, just in the sense of race, like, you know, just the whole Urkel concept of, like, you know, I'm the mm-hmm. nerd, and mm-hmm. I'm into, like, different things and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So, and not to say that, I mean, it definitely affected my upbringing mm-hmm. in the sense of, like, what I, was, what I have been exposed to. Mm-hmm. Media has certainly played a lot of a role in my life when mm-hmm. I was younger. So, like, I'm watching stuff that the average kid from Brooklyn is probably not watching. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm watching... Cheers, it was the point where I was watching like Cheers late at night and yeah. like Star Trek and all these other weird shows that like the average broken kid would not probably be watching mm-hmm. when they're like five, six or seven. Mm-hmm. But for me, like I was exposed to all these different types of media content. So I kind of, I feel like I adapted some of that. Mm-hmm. So as I grown older, you know what I'm saying? Even though I wasn't around, you know, a diverse group of people. And I guess in this case, diverse means white. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? I still had some mannerisms that came off white that mm-hmm. some people would like relate me like oh you're oreo because mm-hmm. da, da, da. Or, like yeah. who says that who acts yeah, like that why do you talk or, I like you probably watch seinfeld or something yeah. and i did like, why do you talk like that <laughs> exactly yeah. so i already kind of went through all that so mm-hmm. by the time but at the same time i still had a grounding of like all right these are my people like mm-hmm. i can relate with these people regardless of 
the, the optics of what that looked like. Mm-hmm. So by the time I got to college, you know, even though not really that far from the city, mm-hmm. but for me it was a culture shock because I'm mm-hmm. around much more white people than I used to be. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, it was like I could actually see how they like carry themselves. Mm-hmm. My roommate for the first couple of years, he's a white kid, but mm-hmm. he lived in Long Island, so mm-hmm. he kind of had mannerisms. Like mm-hmm. he was like the at the time, Kevin Federline. Oh, okay. Right. So he was, he like, was like the K Fed. You know yeah, what I'm saying? He was a he white was guy, like, but yeah, he, act, he had the yeah. he had the little ghetto. He, yeah, he had but the he wasn't culture. like he wasn't like disrespectful with it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? He wasn't going around saying the N word or some yeah. shit like that. You know what I'm saying? But he was mad cool, and then people like a lot of black people gravitated around him. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because it was something familiar. I think mm-hmm. that was more of like a New York City thing than more like mm-hmm. oh, like he's acting black. Oh, we can relate with this dude. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, um, you know, I had different exposures to. To white people when I when it came to college and different people in general, not just white people, but mm-hmm. just a more diverse landscape for me mm-hmm. uh, than growing up in the city because it was just like different faces, different places, different experiences, mm-hmm. and that got me much more cultured than I was in the city. Which not to knock like just growing up in that environment, but you know, seeing d- diversity on TV is way different than mm-hmm. being in a diverse environment and actually like receiving those experiences and stories and. Mm-hmm. and all that stuff and perspectives at the same time absolutely yeah that i was just wondering because i was like you don't have a strong brooklyn accent like or, or even a strong new york accent like if i met you i don't know if i would think that based on your accent that you're from new york but i've met a lot of people from brooklyn who mm-hmm. don't have strong like i i don't know i guess in my mind i i know the long island accent is really strong <laughs> staten island is strong and brooklyn accent brooklyn and the bronx yeah strong definitely strong accents. yeah no mm-hmm. i mean i could whip it out if i have to for yeah. purposes yeah i mean <laughs> i'm not walking around like to test yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Well, let's not get it twisted now yeah <laughs> <Let's not> get, <laughs> you're like i'm still prepared. yeah let's not get crazy yeah. you know what i'm saying like yeah i could be cool but don't, yeah. don't push me <laughs> don't push me exactly <laughs> But all in all, so I mean, so right now, so currently, what are you teaching? Like, what is your? Um, so I'm a, I teach management courses, but particularly human resource management. And my PhD was in organizational psychology, so it's not exactly like my PhD was broader. So I would like that's why I'm really interested to hear about your work experiences because it's like, how are you at work? Are you happy? Are you? But with HR management, it's more like just. HR department, what your HR does, and I, my um, education is more expansive. It's like all aspects of like hiring, making sure the organization runs effectively, making sure you know all of those things. So, um, so I call myself like I guess professor slash consultant because I do I I am um, excited because I've been getting a lot of opportunities to go into companies and do these workshops and talks and trainings on like diversity and inclusion and it's something I'm like super passionate about and I thought that I couldn't do it until I had their credentials but I could have been doing it before it's just something I'm passionate about and I don't think that you need any sort of education if you're going and doing something you're passionate about like if you're you do the research and you're excited about it I don't think you need the PhD or the whatever but I just in my mind felt like oh, people won't take me seriously until I have this. But in actuality, I feel like I didn't need that to do go into consulting, but to, to go into teaching, for sure, like they don't let you do, sometimes you can adjunct as a, um, if you have a master's, but really like to get a full-time teaching role, they're like, you need yeah, a PhD. PhD. Yeah, yeah. Re- respectfully, <coughs> depending on the field, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, 
So teaching it is one thing. Consulting is a different story. Mm-hmm. How, what is the differences in that regard? And do you feel like the consulting is more like hands-on? Mm-hmm. Because with teaching is more like you're, oh, what's the word? You're not supplementing, but you're just more, uh, you're just giving information, yeah. right? Yeah. With these consulting things, you might be teaching, but it's like yeah. hands-on because it's like, all right, you're actually affecting yeah. the flow of a company. So explain yeah, the differences. Yeah, and um, so what's, What's tricky about consulting is that um, sometimes with this particular consulting, it's really difficult for managers to understand that. Um, like, w- how do you measure whether someone retained the information in your training and is going to use it? Like, I could give a test in the beginning of the training and at the end to see what information they learned, but that doesn't necessarily mean after they leave the training they're going to be less biased. So measuring people's bias is really, really difficult. So I think the nature of the topic makes it difficult. And you know, when managers want to hire me, they're like, well, how do we know that changes actually happen? And I'm like, you don't know. Right. You don't know that every single person was, is going to change their behavior tomorrow. And in fact, that's usually not how it works. You have to do training or workshops in addition to other things. If you think just this one workshop is going to magically like, <laughs> and that's what they everything. do. Yeah. yeah. I was, um, someone reached out to me in Vietnam and he's an American who lives there and he runs a company um, and he had a partnership with a very well-known beer company. I don't want to give the name, but no, of course, yeah. very a well-known beer company. And the company, he wanted to bring me in to like Vietnam and Japan to do these workshops. But the beer company was like, um, how do we know that the workshops like what like we want some evidence T- that it, yeah. And I was just like, I mean, this is a workshop about bias and unconscious bias. So. The best thing is like you could take an implicit association test, but that's like available online. So I'm like, if they have computers, everyone can bring in their laptop, take the test, and then measure their scores after. But I don't, I don't think that it's healthy to think that a three-hour training is magically gonna cure people of their bias. I think right. the goal of the training is just making you more aware. Mm-hmm. Like you might not have been aware of something and I think if you're more aware, you're more able to I guess modify your behavior in the future. But you look like you're about to say something I have funny. A thousand things to say. No. Um so or speaking, that you want to laugh. <laughs> okay, you know what? I I know you probably talked about this before. I don't know if I ever got to catch that video or your mm-hmm. commentary on it. But the whole Starbucks situation mm-hmm. at the time, right? Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure everyone might have asked you, like, girl, what you think? Mm-hmm. The Starbucks is wildin'. Mm-hmm. I ain't yeah. getting no PSLs. Yeah. Like, right? cancel, yeah. cancel. Like, how, okay. Not even, I don't even just want to get your thoughts on it. If you, let's say, were consulted, let's say, handle that situation, mm-hmm. right? Considering the optics, considering what actually happened. Mm-hmm. How do you think you would have went into, let's say, I guess Starbucks or the company. I don't know what type of mm-hmm. like the yeah. relationship has yeah. to happen between you, company, yeah. and whatever. But yeah, or even Gucci. Or Gucci. <laughs> I mean, yeah. girl, yeah. there's a list. Okay, yeah, there's <laughs> a there's a whole list. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But um, like, I, Starbucks was the first to come to mind. I but. would because uh, I've written about Starbucks and mm-hmm. how people were just like, "Why are you doing a three-hour training?" And there's actually interestingly been research that shows when you force people to do trainings, diversity trainings. 
um, the trainings are not effective right. when you force them. But the crazy thing is when you don't force them, the people that end up going are usually the ones that don't need the training. Right. Like it's usually people of color. Like when I do these like diversity dinner dialogues, like I, I found a place in the city and I have these events, free events where a Papa John's has agreed to like sponsor the event, they cater the food, and then I just bring people together to talk about diversity related things. What I've noticed in the five events that I've done, in a city as diverse as New York, usually the only people that come are black or Spanish, Hispanic people. So mm. I'm just kind of like, in my mind, the people that need to come and listen are usually not, not present. present. So that's the, that's the trouble with like doing the trainings because I understand they want everyone to go because usually if they made it um, voluntary, the people that go are not the ones that typically need the training. But what I would have done, rather than doing a one day, three hour training and closing down their doors for, is like a mandatory monthly, or maybe not mandatory, but like a monthly training right. to say, we're gonna do this for five years every I don't know, Sunday or every whatever, we're gonna do this training. And that shows you're committed to making changes in the long term. A one time is just like a band-aid. Really you know, is. and it's, I feel like like not even a PR well, it gets very PR-ish. Yeah. You know, because it's like, all right, Starbucks did the thing or this company yeah. did the thing. They yeah. had the meeting. Now everyone's kinda of on the like same everyone, page. Everyone shut up, we're gonna we apologize. This the right. CEO apologized. He Oh, this is a checklist. Yeah, oh, he it's like you gotta make it a public apology by the CEO. Have the CEO come on national television talking about blah, blah, I don't see color, blah, 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 blah. Then do an unconscious bias training and then let the public forget. Because right. the great thing that happens for companies is people forget. People, I remember stuff that the CEO of uh, Chick-fil-A said about mm gay marriage and how he doesn't agree with it and all of that and for I didn't go to Chick-fil-A for a long time because I was like I have friends who are <clears throat> part of the LGBTQ community and I was offended by what this person said and I can go and get a chicken sandwich anywhere right. I don't need to go to Chick-fil-A it's easier in New York because there's no Chick-fil-A or there's the I think one, one. Or the two. yeah one or two. actually there is one by times mm -hmm. It's, it's there's 30, two. Yeah, there's two. Yeah. yeah, there's one by, I'm trying to think what it's near. Is it Rockefeller Center? No, it's not 30 quite. something. 30 something yeah. street. Yeah. I know by, where it is. Uh, I Junior's don't go there. Cheesecake. Yeah. Right, right, right. We I, don't go there, yeah. right? Yeah. I just know where it is yeah. just, for, just, just to make yeah, sure. But, exactly. Like, I see you, but I don't exactly, know. Exactly, but I don't, I don't go. Yeah. <laughs> but there is, I think that one, there's a, a Chick fil A franchise. I think that one, one of them in the city that's owned by a black woman. So. Yeah, so I might start. Yeah. All right, all right. Just, just to say hello. Exactly. <laughs> but like, show that you want to make changes in the long term because one training is not going to do anything. And what I'm trying to do is be less harsh on companies because it was one manager and one person, right. I try to remind myself, doesn't reflect an entire a company. It's, yeah. it's worse when it's the, ma uh, the manager or the CEO saying something. Because you represent my money oh, is good. Get going into your pockets. But as a manager, I just try to remind myself. And I think because we're in a cancel culture, it sucks for companies too because there's all this backlash and then people forget about it. Right. But it's like I have to just remind myself that that manager doesn't represent everyone. And I hear exactly. about black celebrities going into 
Gucci, Prada, all of these places getting treated poorly, and then it's like, I'm boycotting. And it's like, well, that was one person right. um, who hopefully got fired after that incident. But I don't even, that's outside of my tax bracket, so I don't even shop at those places yeah, anyway. I don't think even if I, I was making millions of dollars, I don't think I would, that's just, I'm not that type of person. But cool if, you know, you're that type of person. No, or no, if, no, no. You know, I'm just like, no judgment. Yeah, of course not. But... Um, yeah. yeah. No, it is. I mean, just hearing you talk about these things, I realize that I don't talk about race enough. Mm-hmm. Probably I don't talk about it enough, and it's only because well, one within my work structure, it there's, you know, what I want to bring up, and right. you were mentioned, you didn't mention it. Oh, it's rain outside. Sorry, sidebar. Oh. Um, you mentioned cultural something. Okay. So oh, um. It was like. Competency or diversity fatigue or fatigue. Yeah. Diversity yeah. fatigue. Yeah. And I realized that all right, so that the explain briefly what that is. Mm-hmm. Diversity fatigue. So uh, there's a I didn't coin the term, but I I've been interviewed uh, I was on a, a one or two podcasts and people asked me about it and I was like I just wrote about it for Forbes, but I was like I didn't coin the term. Oh, no, but it's basically my definition of it is um, like this the feelings that most people in America are experiencing where they're just tired of talking about diversity because I think part of it is like companies talk the talk but don't walk the walk. They don't, they're not about it. They say they're committed to diversity and I think people are just, they sit in diversity training and they're bored or they're on their phones. When I did diversity training in eight year, nine years ago when I worked at a bank, I did not pay attention and we shared answers for the videos, it was just like multiple choice. No one paid attention and it's just because I was like, what is this video? This isn't gonna change my behavior. So I think it's like that feeling of like, here we go again, Mm -hmm. anytime like diversity is brought up. Right, now, so for me, and I think I coined this term, just in the sense of fatigue, so it's kind of like a different side of the same coin. Mm -hmm. So right, you have the diversity fatigue where it's like people are kind of tired of talking about diversity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's such a buzzword and da da da. For mm-hmm. me, I feel like I'm going through a sense of cultural fatigue mm-hmm. at my job. I think that's more mm-hmm. on the personnel side because mm-hmm. because of there being such a lack of diversity, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying, it's hard for you to kind of agamate yourself culturally mm-hmm. to the environment because it's kind of like, kind of back to what you were saying before, like, all right, mm-hmm. if you're the only black woman in this whole environment, people are coming to you with all these questions and you mm-hmm. receive them and that's great, but there might be certain, and I guess it depends on if you're willing to have that com- these type yeah. of conversations. And a lot of people don't want to because when you're at work, you're already, for some people, they're already stressed. And it's right. like, I don't want to have to educate you on my culture and do my job. And I don't, I don't think black people or any person from a background should be right. expected mm-hmm. to do that. Like, I wouldn't be like, hey, Sally, you're white. Tell me about, it's like that Casual. never, wow. yeah, <laughs> tell, right? Tell me about potato salad with raisins in it. Like, I don't know. Wow, <laughs> right? I'm so like, intrigued. Right? Like, I, tell me about, like, that doesn't really happen. Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't think that should be the expectation. I just think to move things forward, we have to be willing, but it shouldn't be an obligation. Like, this topic came up in the diversity dinner that I did where someone was like, it's not my job to educate you as a white person. And I said, I totally respect that. Me personally, if someone is like, hey, um, 
faux locks. What is this or what? And touches. I I don't really like people touching my yeah. hair, but cool. Yeah. If you're like a lot of people, when I have the faux locks, we're touching and mm. like, oh, can I? And it's just like, can I touch it? No. Right. Like you but know. But you can sit here and let me tell you about it. Exactly. So, so it's all about respectful dialogue or mm-hmm. d- respectful discourse. And I understand. I think I'm more sympathetic. Sometimes people don't know what to say or don't know what they're saying mm. is offensive. They don't know that. Um, saying, oh, change your hair a lot, or oh, your hair, saying little comments could be seen as microaggression. So Mm -hmm. I think it's, I think one of the reasons I was put on this earth is to educate people and help them understand, like, this is not how you talk to people, or this is not a good way to talk to people, or to, like, bridge that gap. But not everyone feels like that's their job or that was their purpose. So I don't think people of color are obligated. I just think that's how you move the needle and teach people by being willing to have those conversations. Right. And I think not everyone wants to, and that's totally fine. It's, I, I think it's, it's a challenge for people to have those conversations because it's like, look, only, well, I think it's a different angle. So when, with my term of cultural fatigue, it's like, it's having, it's having the ability, or I guess having the, feeling the freedom to have these type of more diverse conversations mm-hmm. in a non-diverse environment. Mm-hmm. So for example, girl, let's let's get as arbitrary as the mm-hmm. VMA Awards. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, Missy Elliott, she did yeah. that, yeah, 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 yeah. I can't really have this open dialogue with my white coworkers because mm-hmm. I might get a, who's Missy Elliott? Or oh, maybe okay. you assume that. I'm assuming. The, yeah. But assumption. I do the same thing. But I'm I, like, do but, you even know Missy Elliott? Right, but in the same tune as like, I mean, I'm very privy to the conversations being had around me. It's mm-hmm. not exactly diverse conversations. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I can only pull so much to say like, hey, if I want to talk about something black, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? I can't talk to everyone about mm-hmm. it because there's going to be a level of cognitive exactly so I, I'm very mindful of that and I feel that the fatigue comes in mm-hmm. where it's like let's let's give it a little deeper I think um, while I was working there because I started working at 16 mm-hmm. uh, the whole thing with was it um, when, when, when did Garner happen uh, Eric Garner that was 14 uh, 2013 or 2014 okay it was it was it was a shooting that happened. I think it was Jameer Rice. Um, Tamir Rice. Tamir what Rice. year was it? Oh, I can't remember. Because all those happened when I was in New York. Right. But I remember hearing happened, about Sean Bell. Sean Bell. It was something that happened. Yeah, that within, was like before in New right. York. Yeah. Was it in New York or? Uh, Sean Bell was in New York. Ahmad Queens. Yeah. So that Amadou, but that was in the early two thousands. And I remember hearing about that in mm-hmm. Amadou Diallo. Oh no, Amadou Diallo was years before. Like, yeah, yeah, that was a while back. But there was a there was a recent there was well from 2016 to uh, whenever, mm-hmm. but something around that time. There was something that was extremely race related that happened. And Maybe Trayvon Martin. Probably Trayvon. Yeah. Yeah, Trayvon was a little bit. Yeah, and that was when I remember. Like that's when I, I think my eyes just opened. For right. that because I don't remember hearing like people talk about Oscar Grant I don't remember mm-hmm. hearing about Oscar yeah Grant. I mean do you remember that I know I know of Oscar Grant but mm-hmm. I think with that whole movie that came out was mm-hmm. a little bit no yeah. I remember Oscar Grant from college you do yes I don't even yeah Oscar Grant happened about... to me Oscar no Oscar Grant happened when, uh, you... when I was in college yeah how old and are you I'm 31 Okay, so I'm 32. Mm-hmm. So you're, we were like same. Yeah, around the same time. Yeah. So college for me was until the movie came out and I watched to the movie. 2009. Like, so that was like early 2000s mm-hmm. that Oscar Grant happened because mm-hmm. I remember the story was being talked about in college and the BART station and all that mm-hmm. stuff. 
So, but nonetheless, there was a there was a racially thing that happened within the time I was working at my company, mm-hmm. and I remember you've been there since twenty sixteen. Oh, oh, then it was. Um, so it, had to, it was probably like seventeen uh, and a half. What's that guy? Um, not Eric Garner. Not Eric Garner. Not um, Mike Brown. Probably Mike, Mike Brown. Brown. Okay, yes. this feels mm-hmm. like it's about right. Yes. Yeah. So Mike Brown happened, and I remember the day after, right? Mm-hmm. You know, because something like this happens, and you go into the office, and you know, for everyone, it's a typical day. Mm-hmm. But for someone like me, or for people of color, I'm pretty sure at their jobs it was very difficult to kind of like get through that day, mm-hmm. right? So in that level of fatigue. Where, for example, like, this is something where I would want to talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, like, hey, like, yo, this is messed up. This is crazy. Mm-hmm. I can't go to Brandon. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I probably use a different yeah. name. Yeah. Just Billy. Name. You can't right. go to Billy. I can't go to Billy like, yo, bro, yo, this Mike Brown thing, man, like, it yeah. really got me messed up because Billy's probably not even... Probably, Billy's like what? Right. What Mike? Who's Mike Brown? Right, who's Mike Brown? Probably yeah. Billy saw the stories like, yeah, well, that's really crazy. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. you know what I'm saying? So, so what are we eating for lunch? Exactly, you know what I'm saying? It it really hits people differently, mm-hmm. you know. And in those type of situations, it's it's hard not to see the disparities mm-hmm. of culture and how it affects the workplace, mm-hmm. right? A lot of people don't like to touch race, and as you mm-hmm. said, it makes people uncomfortable. But when you have situations that happen in the outside world mm-hmm. that trickle into the to the work environment, Mm -hmm. you know, it's hard not to ignore those things. And I think that race is the most difficult thing for people to talk about. I I think that I've noticed in my just work and when it comes to gender, everyone can talk about gender because everyone has a a mom or a sister or Mm -hmm. a woman in their family. not a, everyone has a, knows a black person. So I think that there's that level of disconnection where most people have someone who's gay in their family or who's LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. Most people have a veteran that they know. Most people have, but I think when it comes to race, I think religion is right there under it because I right. think there's a lot of misconceptions about, for example, people who are Muslim. And, but I think that race is like one of those things where it's like, I'm not racist though, but I'm not, you know, right. people, and I've heard, um, white people tell me they don't want to even open that can of worms because they don't want to say something that is offensive. They don't know the right thing to say, so they just avoid, avoid having the yeah. conversation. And I, I think that that's the worst thing that could happen when you don't even have the conversation because how are you going to learn? You don't learn from people when you don't have conversations or when you agree. People learn the most from people that they disagree with right. and that they don't see eye to eye with people on so when you're not even willing to have the conversation so that's why I think it's important or part of what I like to do is go into these companies and just open up the conversation because I don't like to call what I do training um, or I'm going to do a diversity training because I think there's a really big expectation it's just like what 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 are they going to learn I want to know that changes were made but when you call it not even I try to stay away from even using workshop but now I call them like on my website I have it like awareness talks where it's like let's just talk informally about these things that you might be afraid to talk about or ask or like let's just talk about it because I think that once you're able to open yourself up to have the conversation that's when changes can actually happen but when you until you open yourself up it's when you're afraid to say the wrong thing that's not going to happen there's a really good movie on Netflix and I forget the name but it's um, a black guy 
who goes and has conversations with people who are in the KKK. Um, Killer Mike? Um, no. Trigger Warning? Okay. Uh, but I've seen Trigger Warning. Okay. It's a movie or a documentary, I guess, on Netflix. But if you Google it, the name will pop up. I, I'm like, okay. um, it's really good. I might, know, I might know who you're talking about. I think yeah. I might have a say. He became, list. this guy, white guy, became friends with, um, or he developed a relationship with, um, a friendship with a, the former Grand Wizard um, in the Ku Klux Klan, and mm. now they're like close friends. So I think that just having the conversation, I'm gonna look up. Well, the conversations are important, and I and mm -hmm. I 100% agree with you. I think the first, the only way that these constructs are going to be broken down is by open dialogue. Open dialogue, but not just open. It has to be open and non-biased, right? Mm -hmm. Non-biased to the point where it's like, all right. We all have our implicit biases, and that's fine. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? But if we're going to have an open dialogue about these things and break down the differences and come to a commonality, not to the point where everyone has to agree. Exactly. But it, it, see, and I think that's what happens when it comes to these certain, um, you know, diversity workshops that mm -hmm. you had. Everyone feels like, all right, at the end of this, we all have to agree or we all have to, like, yeah. think and the that's same. Not and it's exactly. like, it's not and a matter it's like, of thinking the we same. We don't have to. If one person... If after the, the talk or the workshop, one person walks away seeing something in a different way mm -hmm. than they had before, I feel like the mission is accomplished. I think that sometimes all you're doing, for me, is all you're doing is planting a seed. Exactly. You're not watching the seed as it grows. You're just planting that seed. The seed might not grow for some people. It might die. Right. But for one person, if you could just plant that seed that makes people see things in a different way than they did before, then I feel like it's effective. But I feel like when you label these as like trainings, the expectation is higher. And people are like, well, I expect to learn this and to do this. And, and it's like, no, change, any type of change takes time. You don't go to the gym and develop muscles the next day, you go and over years time, you yeah. put on. So I feel like the same thing is like for companies, especially if you're trying to change a toxic work culture. Right. And I feel like, you know, for the work cultures that I've been in, like I've been in a very diverse work culture where mm -hmm. you could have that type of open dialogue mm -hmm. and still have a level of professionalism. And I think mm -hmm. people get very scared when it comes to these conversations because mm -hmm. it's like, oh, it, what's professional? Is it deemed mm -hmm. professional? If I bring this up, am mm -hmm. I, as you said, oh, that's fine. What time is it now? Uh, 5.20. Okay, that's fine. We can wrap up in like okay. two minutes. Oh, but yeah, so like people going to these um work environments and think about professionalism and it's like, all right, if I say this, mm -hmm. I, you know, HR is a thing. So it's yeah. like, if I say this, am I offending someone? Am I, am I, you know, putting someone in a certain position and yeah. everyone wants to walk on those eggshells. Yeah. But I think if there's respectful discourse about these issues and realize like, all right, these are differences and yes, mm -hmm. we can talk about race and be respectful mm -hmm. about it and come to an understanding of what that is without mm -hmm. disrespecting anyone, mm -hmm. you know, and really just kind of loosen that very hard edge, mm -hmm. you know, when it comes to these work environments, then I think we could get to that point mm -hmm. where diversity things don't have to be so, like, oh, a chore. Yeah, you know and I, mean? it, I feel like it's like that pink elephant in the room that, like, nobody wants to talk about the, like, the same way, like, I'm sure your parents were like this too, but, like, I feel like growing up, there's, like, certain themes that, like, my parents didn't want to talk about. Like, for example, we never, my brother and I were just talking about that. It was me, my brother, and my sister. We never got, like, the birds and the bees talk from my parents. We just had to learn things on our own. And I think that when you 
have that conversation, you're making things, I guess, easier down the line. People are able to learn and understand things, whereas when you don't have conversations about race, people just think things on their own. And they could be irrational thoughts, but it's like nobody's there to really teach you and help you learn the way things are, the way things should be, or the, that your mindset is kind of bigoted. No one's there to really, because you're not having the conversations. But I, that's why I feel like having those conversations especially like with the young kids is important it's just like this is you know rate this is ra race in america is a really big concept so i think that we just need to keep having more of the conversations of course and one last quick question this mm -hmm. is a question that kind of just well, access to every subject in mm -hmm. the series but what motivates you to wake mm -hmm. up every day and make the best of it what motivates me um I think it's, and it sounds really cliche, but I think it's just a blessing to be able to get up and do what you enjoy doing. I think we take a lot of things in our life for granted, like our health, for example, um, we take for granted. My dad has a lot of health problems and that just makes me really excited to like go to the gym and to like take care of myself because I think that each of us have a lot of things to be happy about and blessed in our lives so I guess just being thinking about all the things I've been blessed with makes me feel like I have some sort of greater purpose we all have like a greater purpose and a reason why we were like put on this earth so I feel like doing things that bring you closer to your life's purpose is what motivates me thanks for listening to this episode of Minutes Heard make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast and follow or subscribe to Minute Maid New York on Facebook, Instagram, and on YouTube.